Welcome to the I Might Be Wrong podcast with Travis Seppala, where we discuss faith, dogmatics, science, math, physics, art, and share conversations with all humans. Well, mostly only the interesting ones. Join me in welcoming and encouraging Travis on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Travis Seppala, and I am your host. This is episode 21. And just to inform everybody, I realize there's been a delay between episode 20, which is the last episode in this episode. And the main reason for that is just there has been a number of different things that have been going on, uh, uh, both at work and at home that have eaten up a lot of my time. That and there's been, I've been doing a lot of work getting some other shows prepped uh, so that I can actually get some content out. And some of it required going back and looking at some of the different information that I have read over the past year. And specifically for the episode that I'm about to share with you today, because this episode actually does require me and did require me to go back and make sure that I had a lot of my facts straight. Um, Before I get started with this episode, I would actually ask, I'm going to ask right from the very beginning, that if this, if you're new to the podcast, if you've been listening, if you haven't recommended anybody listen to it, this is one episode where I really want, if there, I, I would just ask, just share it share this episode because I'm going to talk about an issue that I think is of deep, deep importance to the Christian church. And it's something that's very timely. And at the same time, it's something that I have been asked to address for quite some time and and by a number of different people with a number of different viewpoints. And so the topic is actually what I would say the best way to title it is to simply say, what's the best way for me to behave as a Christian during the coronavirus, especially in regards to the different mandates that exist? Uh, And those, the most obvious being, of course, social distancing and wearing a mask. How should I behave as a Christian? And what does it look like to be a Christian while we're doing that? Now, in order to really cover this topic, um, I'm going to have to do, you know, a lot of, you know, feed a lot of information. So I hope you'll bear with me because I think at the end, I mean, the the end of this episode, I really um, have an important point to make about all of it. So I have absolutely no qualifications as a medical professional. I have no qualifications as an epidemiologist. I'm not somebody who who knows virology or, or any of that kind of stuff. What I am very good at, though, is analyzing data and numbers. Uh, Numbers, mathematics, that's something that I have been very gifted with my entire life. I was advanced in mathematics at a young age. And once I got to college and went through um, economics and a lot of that, one of the things that I really learned and got really good at was just learning how to analyze statistics. And, and I've learned, so I know statistics, I know modeling, I know how to pick apart numbers, I know how to look at a study that comes out in a newspaper and and dig deep into the data behind it and try to figure out if 
what is being reported to me is actually true. And so that's really the only place I'm going to, to stick to. That and one other thing. Um, I'm, I am extremely nerdy. Um, and so the other thing is, is I'm the type of person that if I pick something up and I start to read it and, and something seems a little bit off or I don't know, you know, I, I don't have any, um, <clears throat> enough information as I'm reading through it, well, then I'm going to try to learn as much about that particular topic as possible. I'm always going to simply dive deep, as deep as I possibly can. And my feeling is, is that a lot of people don't do that. And as a result, you know, when you deal with something, for instance, like the coronavirus, it's really easy for a lot of misinformation to be put out there, and people don't even really realize that misinformation can be put out there, um, or that misinformation is being put out there when it happens. And so, as an example, I would just like to point out, like, my wife and I went on a trip with our children this summer, this past summer, so 2020, and while we did, we stopped um, in a major city, and there was a paper, a newspaper that was um, the headlines of it was talking, um, there was this headline on it that was talking about the fact that there was this convent of nuns that was just being absolutely um, decimated by the coronavirus. And of course, at this point in time, I mean, there was a lot of questions. I was doing a lot of just reading, following numbers, looking at the statistics every single day, which is something that I've done right from the very beginning, just out of curiosity. So I'm always been, I've always update, updating um, myself to what the current CDC numbers are, you know, following things like cases of the coronavirus flu, uh, mortality rates, all of that kind of stuff, not just for the United States, but anything else, any other country that I'm curious about. And so I was just trying to learn about this. And all of a sudden, I was seeing this and man, this just seemed terrible. And so I started reading about this where I think it was well over half of the people in this convent had died. Now, what was really terrible about the article and very disingenuous about the article is it was like 10 Ten, it had to be like at least 10 paragraphs deep into the article that it began to list the ages of the people that had died of the coronavirus. And we were talking, I mean, you're talking about, I think the first one was 95. There was someone that was 102. There was a couple of, a couple other ones that were over the age of 100. I think the youngest person, the, the youngest woman that had um, died of it was in her late 80s. Now, I'm not trying to say that that doesn't matter. I mean, any death is tragic, um, and, and it's really quite terrible to go through. I've been, you know, I've had to walk many families through that process as a pastor over the years. Um, but we also need to understand that this is essentially a nursing home that they're talking about. And I know something about nursing homes because when I first started as a pastor, I was serving in a uh, very older elderly congregation in an elderly community. And so one of the things that was actually part of my job was that I think it was about four, four different nursing homes that I visited on a regular schedule. <clears throat> that, and that was just part of what I would do on a weekly, sometimes monthly basis, depending on what the services were. And so, I mean, I've seen not what the coronavirus does, but really any type of virus. 
or any type of infection does when when people reach a certain age. It's just once you get above the age of like 85, I remember thinking the one that I remember is if somebody got a UTI, urinary tract infection, and they were over the age of 85, I mean, I was prepared to, t- to call the family sometime soon because it, this was in many cases, that was the beginning of the end. Um, but it didn't have to be something like that. I mean, I, I've watched people that are in their 90s get the common cold, the common cold and not pull through. I watched somebody get a sinus infection and not pull through. And the sinus infection just had to do with the changing of the seasons. And so, I mean, if you really wanted to get down to it, I mean, what killed that man? Well, you know, the seasons change. Spring came and the flowers bloomed and he developed a sinus infection as a result of it. And he was never able to recover from that. This that the elderly community, once you get to that certain age, it doesn't necessarily need to be something as sinister as the coronavirus. And and this is what was so fascinating to me, is that they had buried this very deep in the article. And the reason they had is because they know most people, when they read this kind of information, they're not going to even bother to get 10 paragraphs in. They're not going to bother to look at all of the names and ages of the different people that are being listed. What they're going to do is they're going to read the headline and they're going to allow that headline to really just dictate all of their different decisions. And something really similar is going on right now within the Christian community. And and so I really want to, to just share with people uh, a lot of the different information that I have gone through and had to deal with in concerns with this. And it is something, just so people know, it's not just a matter of like, oh yeah, I like to look into the statistics of people who are dying. I mean, I'm morbid, but I'm not that morbid. Uh, A big part of it is, is I'm a pastor of a church and we had some really difficult decisions to make a year ago this time, whether or not we were going to shut down, whether or not we were going to have in-person services. If and when we did decide to have have in-person services, how many people were going to be allowed to come. These were really, really difficult decisions, and there was a lot of people around that had a ton of opinions. And most of those opinions were just, you know, not coming to you to share information or say, hey, listen, I know you have a really difficult time in front of you, and these are not easy decisions. And just so you know, pastor and leaders of your congregation were praying for you. No, it was people telling you, you better do this. I had people call me and threaten. I I had probably five or 10 different people tell me that they were going to call the police on me if I didn't behave in a certain way. And understand you know, that's not an easy place to be in. And at the same time, I wanted to do the best I could possibly do for the members of my congregation and to minister to their needs. And so, I mean, there was a lot of conversations that were happening, but I was doing just tons and tons of reading and research. And so one of the things I'm going to share right off the bat that has always bothered me and 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 if if it feels like I'm just being kind of abrupt, understand I have to be because I want to get to the point that I'm going to make at the end. So number one point that bothered me right from the very beginning was it would have been about a year ago, a year ago at this point in time, because right now we're in the middle of March. And so a year ago at this time, we were told as a country that we needed to shut down for 15 days, 
15-day stay-at-home order to flatten the curve. Now, that was not something that was difficult for me to do, okay? Because my wife and I had just flown back from Haiti on an international flight, um, and we were being requested at that point in time by the CDC to quarantine for, I think it was like 17 days. I remember landing and a text message just shows up on your phone saying, boom, you know, this is what they want you to do. And it wasn't just a complete quarantine. They were just saying, unless it's absolutely necessary, remain at home for X amount of days. And so we were already planning on doing that. And then there was this order then that the, the entire country was being asked 15 days to flatten the curve. And man, did that bother me because I understand curves. I understand modeling. I understand data. That's one thing I know and I know really well. I'm not trying to be arrogant or cocky. I'm just being honest. If there's, there, there's some things in my life that are areas of expertise, and this is one of them analyzing numbers, analyzing curves, analyzing just models in general. And if there's one thing I know for a fact is that you can't flatten a curve if you don't know where you are on that curve. And this is something that it just baffled me and it still baffles me to this day because only now, only now within the last couple of months have people actually been started to do what I'm about to say should have been done right from the very beginning and that is figure out where we were to, where where exactly we were on the curve which means for for us in the United States of America what we should have been doing is trying to figure out with 100% or with the most percent of accuracy as we possibly could when did the virus arrive in the United States We were simply just told case number one was in Washington and no other questions were asked. I mean, there was stool samples, there was blood samples, there was a number of other things we could have looked at, people that had been dying of things like pneumonia and other patients, you know, that had been had similar symptoms that went back into December or whatever else. And we could have looked at that. That was not hard to analyze. Okay. Now, the reason that's important is because if case one was, you know, in January, then what it looks like is it looks like, hey, there's hardly any of this here. There's only one person. And now, bam, there's a thousand and that happened overnight. And now, bam, there's 10,000 and that happened overnight. How is this happening? Well, I mean, yeah, that's terrifying, but it's not as terrifying if maybe it was here, say, in December or November or even earlier than that, of 2019. But there was no desire to go into that and try to figure that out. And that is, I mean, right off the bat, one of my biggest problems is we never once asked ourselves, where are we? Where are we on the curve? No, it was flatten the curve, flatten the curve. And we have no idea if we're on a downward trend, upward trend peaking. We don't know if we're where we are or how long this has been here. Now, what's really interesting is that there has in more recent time, November, December and of 2020, this past year, there has been a lot of research into that. <clears throat> and we know for a fact that this virus didn't suddenly appear in China in December of 2019. In fact, Italy, for example, went back and started looking at 
any types of samples that they had. And one of them was a lung cancer screening trial dating back to September of 2019. And when they went and looked at, um, looked at those samples, they found that 11% of the people that had volunteered had coronavirus antibodies in their system. Now that means antibodies, which means they had it before December, I mean, September of 2019. Now this is Italy. Um, there was also a study done by a group out of Harvard that showed, it, and this one is always, is really fascinating to me, it shows that I think in August of 2019, that there was people in the southern area south of Wuhan, Wuhan China, where they can they were able to go and look at the the search the the internet searches that they were making and one of the most popular types of searches were symptoms of a sickness and these symptoms match perfectly you guessed it the coronavirus and that hospitalizations at this point in time were really really high in China even though it wasn't necessarily being reported and the World Health Organization has since come out and let us know that yeah we know it was present there now the reason that's important is to understand that it was here internationally it was already global going back into as early as September and October and possibly even earlier of 2019 and and if you think that means it wasn't in the United States, you're absolutely insane, okay? Because it's statistically impossible for something like that to occur, where you have this virus that's present in a country like China, and to assume that it's not going to make it here, because in September of, of almost every single year except for 2020, China sends somewhere in the neighborhood of half of a million college-age students to come to universities in the United States of America. And during that same period of time, there is, I mean, you, if you go back and you look at just averages, normal averages of how much travel goes on between China and the United States, it's, it's, it's tens of millions of people that go back and forth. Now, you also have a, a Thanksgiving break, you have holiday travel, you have all of this kind of stuff going on. So just that alone would say, well, yeah, surely it was here earlier than then. And, you know, if that's not enough, then there was a study that was published uh, in, I think it was December of 2020, so just a couple of months ago. And in the study, it's dealing with the fact that American Red Cross had collected a number of different blood samples uh, from donors. Um, and they were across nine different states, these, these samples, and they were taken at um, between like middle of December to middle of January, so December of 2019 to January of 2019, and they found infected um, samples. They found samples that were not infected, but w they found antibodies that were present in those samples. And so was it here? Well, I mean, that would indicate yes. As a matter of fact, it was here. And so right off the bat, Almost every bit of modeling that we have was all based on the idea that we were on this steep climbing upward curve because the virus, like patient zero as far as we were concerned in the United States of America, was at the end of January. And the first, first death of it from it was in um, February. <clears throat> now, the reason I was... I felt I this is I mean the reason I was questioning it right from the very beginning is because 
in South Carolina, we live in an area where there's actually Chinese companies around this area. Okay. Um, and, uh, so there's a lot of different, um, people that go back and forth from there. And I remember December of 2019 really well. First of all, I got really sick at the end of December, 2019, extremely sick. And it wasn't the flu and it wasn't strep throat and they couldn't tell me what it was, but they said it's some type of, it's probably some type of cold. And I mean, I, 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 I lost taste, smell, all that kind of stuff. My entire congregation, I mean, during that time, during the month of December, I mean, on, on average, I, it was less than 50% of people that, that, that (laughs) compared to what like a full attendance would be. You know, you could you would have sworn everybody was on vacation, but I mean, we had Sunday school teachers that were sick. We had all kinds of different people that were sick, and all of the symptoms were the same. There was people in our in you know in in, in my congregation that came down with severe cases of, of pneumonia. One of them almost died. You know, this was all happening back in December of 2019, and so that's why for me I was questioning that part of it. I wasn't questioning whether or not it was dangerous. Okay. I was just wondering, well, how come nobody's digging into this part of it? Because the reason that's important, the reason that's important is if it was indeed in the United States, as early as some of the studies are estimating, and some studies that I've read are estimating it based on, you know, computer modeling and algorithms, they're, basi- they're, they're saying it could have been in the United States as early as October of 2019. Now, that means that when we were taking this measure back in um, March of 2020, where we're going to lock down and do all of these different things, well, it had already been in the country and it was making its way through the country for five months, possibly. And not only that, it was still a little while longer before things like mask mandates came into place, before the social distancing requirements and all of that were were put into place. And so, I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, for sure, months, months, where it was spreading and spreading freely. And then all of a sudden we decided, well, we got to control this. And then that was when the next thing happened. That, that basically guaranteed that there was no way that this was ever going to be controlled. Um, and that was, hey, there's going to be a lockdown. And so for the next five days or however long it was, and I can remember reading a, a magazine article, and it was from somebody at a Target where they basically described Target during that period. They said it was like Black Friday for five days in a row. People were coming in, the store was jam-packed, and they were just scrambling to take things off of the shelves to the point where, you know, you couldn't find toilet paper, you couldn't find wipes, you couldn't find hand, hand sanitizer, all of that kind of stuff was just swallowed up. People piled into grocery stores and your Costco's and, and your Target's and all of these other places. And with no masks or anything like that, we're shoulder to shoulder for however many hours on end, behaving in a way that they had never behaved before. Complete panic. Okay. And so, I mean, that happened. And once again, we were told to do our part and just to take part in this 15 days, which turned into 30 days, which for some of you has now turned into a year. And during that time, the big things that we've been told is that social distancing 
and and staying at home and masking up, these are the things that are going to prevent the virus from spreading, and these are going to be the things that save lives. And and one of the things that has been just extremely valuable, and I deeply appreciate the fact that we live in the United States of America for this reason, is because there was no centralized demand um, for a mask mandate. Every state was allowed to kind of do it their own way, try to come up with different measures. And so that's extremely value valuable from a statistical point of view and from just analyzing data, because really you have essentially what, what amounts to 50 different populations that you can analyze and understanding that there was travel that went back and forth. But, you know, you assume that, you know, that each one of these is different and each one of them has different mask and, and social distancing mandates and all of these different things that they put into practice. And then also there was another thing that occurred where, some of these states put on some really harsh measures and then they removed them. And so you could actually see exactly what happened once they took away those measures. And, and I can tell you as somebody who has paid very close attention to the numbers for a year now, for a year, just watching it and state by state, for example, a state like Iowa, Iowa pulled off all of its regulations. They opened their schools back up, I think, almost before any other place in in the whole entire country did. And nothing, there wasn't a spike. They ended up having the same exact trend as every other state in the union. In fact, all of us, almost every state in the United States follows a, the same trend when you actually look at it on a like you map out map it out um onto a graph you know there is a spike and at in the spring um which is tech i would say it's kind of that we don't know if that was a spike because we don't that's assuming we're starting at a zero point in february and that's why i tend to say i don't even know if that was a spike we were high in the spring we could have been even higher back in january december whatever else but we weren't testing back then we know it was present in the united states back then because we've actually looked at that you know there's there's actual proof to back that up and all you have to do is read in, just do a little bit of reading. And there's, you know, there, there's actual data out there that shows this. Um, we know that it dropped dramatically during the summer. And then once again, there was a spike that happened in the fall. And it doesn't matter what state you lived in. You followed the same trend. It doesn't matter if you were in California, where there was harsh draconian measures and people were being told what they, you know, how to behave when they were going to go eat at Thanksgiving or you lived in a place like Florida where, where there's no mandates. In fact, and this is the other thing that most people miss is some people say to that, well, yeah, well, Florida's like that, but the, the cities have the ability to put different um, mandates and measures into place. Well, technically they do, but it's not punishable but with any, because um, Ron DeSantis, the governor in Florida, made it so that people can actually be punished if they don't follow those rules set by the different cities. And so really people have as much freedom as they really want to have in a place like Florida. And, and you know, 
actually, like in terms of where they rank, and I mean, this is the third most populous state in the entire United States, and where they rank in relation to places like that are in the other top five in terms of population, it's not even close. In terms of their cases per per um, million, in terms of their deaths per million, they're not even in the, the top half of states in the entire United States. They're not even in the top 25, even though they're the third most populous state in the union. And so the reason I'm sharing this with you is not to simply nerd out and tell you, you know, about COVID. And this is not a political point that I'm making. Actually, uh, what I'm trying to tell you is that the problem that happened with the church is that we, we were told to behave in a certain way throughout all of this. And it, what was used on us was a teaching that is, was given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that teaching is that we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And then it quickly was spun around and we were told that the best way we can truly love and care for our neighbor as Christians, if you really want to do that, you'll put a mask on and you will socially distance and you won't hold church services, and you won't gather together, and you will limit all of these things to the best of your ability. And we turned it into a binary choice, or we didn't, we allowed it to be turned into a binary choice, where basically, if you did these things, it meant you loved your neighbor. If you chose not to do those things, well, then you don't love your neighbor. And that was the problem. And that's something we're still dealing with to this very day is that we've had this shoved down our throat, and it's all based on data that, that actually does, it's just not even real, okay? Because when you look across not just the United States, if you look all the way across the world, and you look at the different practices that were put into place, it didn't make the virus go away. In fact, that was something that Dr. Anthony Fauci, that's what, what the CDC, that's what so many people said right from the very beginning. This this request to flatten the curve, 15 days to flatten the curve, it was, we were told right from the beginning, this is not going to get rid of the virus. You cannot get rid of a virus. It cannot happen. What we were told is this was meant to flatten the curve. And so the whole point is, if there was going to be 5 million people who got the virus, okay, um, by taking this time and, and socially distancing and doing all of that, you're not taking the number from 5 million who get it down to like 1 million. No, 5 million people were still going to get it. It was just a matter of like, are 5 million people going to get it over the course of the next two months? Or are 5 million people going to get it over the course of the next 12 months? But you're not going to stop this. It doesn't go away. And a great example of this is one of these countries that was lauded very early on in the process, and that's New Zealand, because New Zealand had no cases in the middle of the summer. Now, just a quick point. It's really hard to get to New Zealand, okay? Unless you live in Australia. It is really, really hard to get to New Zealand. New Zealand. No matter what, you're, tr- you're crossing a massive chunk of ocean, on a flight that takes a long time to get there, unless you're coming from from Australia. So it is very remote. The population density is very small, and it's an island, so it's really easy to control people going in and out of the country and to limit those factors, okay? 
So it's not hard for them to lock down the entire country and to prevent people from coming in or going out and making people stay in their homes. And that's what they did. And they were down to zero. You know what? They've tried to open three times since then. You want to know what keeps on happening when they try to open up? The coronavirus is back. Okay, because viruses don't just kind of like say, well, you know what? They stayed in their house for 15 days. I guess we have to leave or 30 days or whatever else. Okay, especially not a novel virus. The whole point of a novel virus is that it originated in animals or it mutated in animals. So more than likely, it has the ability to survive in numerous animal populations still. Okay, so it's not going away. I'm sorry, it's not. And yet we have been fed a line. Okay, we have been fed a narrative that says to us that if we were to do all of these things and we do them properly, everything's going to be fine. Okay, and and I am not someone, you know, I, I don't get into politics too, too much, but I still remember in a debate where Joe Biden, while he was President Biden, while he was candidate Biden at the time, said that all we got to do, all we really got to do is wear these masks and everything's going to be fine and it's going to go away. No, it's not. Okay. That's not how viruses work. Okay, they just they don't just magically decide to go away because you decided to put a mask on. And and when we bought into that idea, all of a sudden it got pressed upon the Christian community that if we're truly going to be good Christians, loving Christians, because that's the place they went to. They they asked the question, well, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Oh, well, of course we do. Okay? Even if we didn't really want to, we've been commanded to do that by our Lord and our Master. And of course we do, because we have been shown great love by our Father. Okay? And so that gets held out in front of you, and now all of a sudden then you're told, well, if you truly do, then understand, this is what you're doing if you decide to hold church services. You're killing people. This is what you're doing if you decide to not wear a mask. You're killing people. This is what you're doing if you decide to gather together. You're killing people. And understand the gathering together of the body of Jesus Christ is a great big deal. And we should have asked a lot of questions before we just forsook that idea. Because it's a huge part of our identity. It's a huge part of what we are because some people just cannot survive alone. Okay, so I'm not going to sit here and say like one, I'm not about to go into that part of it. And this is going to be a longer episode because I still have some more to say. But what I want people to understand is I'm just going to share what happened in my congregation because we wanted to the best of our ability to obey civil authority. And yet at the same time, we wanted to minister to our congregation. And so we decided that all essential personnel only, we asked just our essential personnel to show up. And the reason we wanted essential personnel is so that there could be music that was played, there could be song leaders, there could be a very, very bare-bones skeleton crew that could put on a song service, and there could be people that were in the church and they could sing, so that those who were staying at home had the ability to tune in to a service of this congregation, my congregation, the Eastside congregation, and when they tuned into it, they would get the same exact experience as closely as we could possibly replicate that, okay? And so we kept numbers low. And even in doing that, I mean, 
man, did I receive criticism. Man, was there attacks that came. Man, were people just so, so against it. And at the same time, I was constantly having to tell people, you can call the cops. We're not breaking any laws. There's not hundreds of people here. I, th- I know you might think there is. There isn't. Okay. That went on for about six weeks. And then after six weeks, um, people just started showing up. And I'll never forget that the people that showed up, and I think I've shared this on this podcast before, um, but the people that showed up first were old widows. And I'm not going to say who, but one of them told me when she arrived, she said that she was coming to church. Nothing was going to stop her because for her, she said, I'd rather die than be alone. I'm lonely. This was breaking her. She needed community. She needed to be around the body of believers because the loneliness was leading to a place of despair. And this is what we need to understand is that, you know, this idea that you're the church and you're showing love, if you just isolate and wear a mask, I mean, just think about that for one moment, wear a mask, stay at home, don't have any contact with any people And that's showing love to your neighbor. I'm sorry. I call BS. Okay? Not in the sense that, you know, I get it that you can can do that with the intention of making sure that you don't spread it. Or if you know that you're sick, stay home. Absolutely. Stay home. Um, But the idea that this is the only way during this time that we minister to people is absolutely horrendous. Okay? What we need to understand is that we've given up things. We've given up things like funerals during this time as the church. Okay? You want to know how important and impactful it is that when somebody is dealing with the loss of a loved one, that they're able to grieve with other people? It is of utmost importance. It's part of the healing process. And they've been deprived of it. Not only that, in many cases, they actually had to watch that loved one die over a TV screen because they weren't allowed in the nursing home or they weren't allowed in the hospital. They were just had to sit there and watch it while, they, while this person that they loved wasted away. Okay? And we, the church, have simply thought to ourselves, well, that's perfectly okay. Let's just make sure that we wear the mask. This has never been a binary choice. This has never been about this. And this is not what loving your neighbor actually looks like. Now, this is the thing that we need to understand. What we're called to do is to love our neighbor. But loving our neighbor takes on many, many different forms. Okay, loving our neighbor takes on many different forms. And what we need to understand is that while all of this isolation was going on, addiction is going crazy. Mental illness, things like anxiety and depression, some of the numbers that are now coming out where are rates like that where these things have increased at rates of over a hundred percent. Suicide is 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 up high. And and it's not just in, you know like the elderly community, one of the groups of people that is being most affected by anxiety, depression, and suicide right now are people 18 and under. So if you want to wear a mask, wear it. But don't think that that replaces taking care of your neighbor, okay? That doesn't mean that you stop showing concern and care for those groups of people. 
If you don't want to wear a mask, fine, then don't wear a mask. I mean, you know, you're allowed to do that, but don't think that that, that in doing so that makes you some brave, amazing Christian who's not scared of getting some virus. Okay. And if you've been, you've been sick and you didn't isolate yourself, well, shame on you because I don't care what you get. I don't care what you get. I mean, that's just common sense. If you're sick and you got a fever, stay home. Don't spread it if you have it. Okay. That's loving your neighbor too. You know, if somebody shows up at my doorstep and they're, you know, they come walking in to visit and and it turns out that they say, yeah, I got 105 fever. I don't know what's wrong with me. The door gets closed. Thank you very much. All right. My whole point is that loving your neighbor takes on a number of different forms. It's not just about whether or not we were willing to do all of this. And this is what's kind of gotten driven me insane is because I've had a question asked to me over and over and over over the course of the past year. And that is, is that shortly after that six week period, I came to the conclusion that if people showed up, I'm not going to prevent them from being here. And I talked to the, we talked as leadership, we talked among state legislatures here in South Carolina. We found out that actually we weren't prevented from doing that. And I wasn't going to limit service size. I wasn't going to do any of that. And I was asked time and time again, well, what kind of an example do you really think that's setting? What are you trying to prove? And the reality is, is I'm not trying to prove anything. Okay. I am willing to accept the fact that I might be, that some people may get sick, okay? At the same time, I also understand that there's a lot of misinformation that's going on, and whether I get sick or I don't get sick does not change my standing with Jesus Christ. And if I do, trust me, trust me, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay away from people. And, and, and I have had, you know, just times where I've gotten a little sick in the past year. Um, but the one thing I do say is, honestly, like, just by looking at the, the raw numbers, like, if I honestly believed that, that this actually did something, that it was actually curbing and, and preventing all sorts of different disease and the spread of it, or if I honestly thought that by isolating and wearing a mask, we could kill the coronavirus, then I would be all for it. But, I mean, I know it doesn't work like that because I can read a book, a book, and I can read information that tell me that it takes a long time, even if you get a vaccine into place, it takes a long time to get rid of any virus, period. Smallpox, for example. I mean, we're still trying to beat back polio. Um, Worldwide, I should say. I mean... It takes a long time, and that's for that. That never mind for for viruses that have the ability to rapidly mutate. Okay, and this is the other side of it. Is part of what it means to be a Christian is also to understand that even if it might put me in jeopardy to be around other people, then so be it, because it is not good for man to be alone. It isn't. We are social creatures by nature. And to to deprive us and to deprive others of community destroys some people. And I promise you, there are going to be many people, there are already many people who are never, ever, ever going to recover from 
these isolations and from the anxiety and from the depression. Now, that is not said in any way to, to minimize the fact that there are people who have suffered and died too because they're never going to get better either. I get it, okay? But as a Christian community, we need to stop this, okay? Where it's about wear a mask or not wear a mask, and that's what determines whether or not you're a good, loving Christian. Isolate or don't isolate, and that's all, the, all that if, if you're doing it, if you're isolating, that shows love. You want to know something? No. Sometimes the only way to show love is to show up at somebody's doorstep. Sometimes the only way to show love is to give a hug to somebody. To tell them, I love you. To be able to look them in the eye and smile at them. It's not as simple as do this one thing and you shall be saved. Okay? It's love your neighbor as yourself. And to put their needs in front of your own needs. And I'm sorry, if you really think about those words and you think about them carefully, you'll realize that there is a lot of nuance there. Okay? Because for some people, the need might be, I'm scared, I need to stay at home, and, I, and we need to honor that. And we need to take care of those people in any way we can. But for another person, their need might be, I would rather die than be lonely. Okay? I love you guys. I do. And I really want to be able to share this, and I hope that I haven't offended anybody. Because this is not my point. My point is that we, the church, are not supposed to be told and dictated as to what love is by the community around us by the world around us, by societies and by governments, okay? It's always meant to be the other way around. We, the church, are the ones that are teaching the world around us what love actually looks like. And it can get complicated. It can get messy. But it's also beautiful, and it's worth doing. Thanks for tuning in and like and share this episode if you have the ability to do that on the the podcast host that you may be using. Um, and as always, I would ask you to subscribe and share this with any, as many like-minded friends as you possibly could. I will talk to you guys later.